0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio, and we have the honor and privilege of having um, pharmacist, fellow pharmacists, fellow rogue pharmacists. Ben Fuchs, on our show today, Uh, he has a very successful radio show, and we'll talk about that also, and we'll talk about what made him change his thinking about pharmacy in general, because he thinks a lot like Janet and I that uh, many things, many medications that are prescribed for long-term, long-term treatments are probably not the best thing for it. He believes in lifestyle changes and lifestyle modifications to treat most chronic disease. So, um, he's Preaching to the choir today, when it comes to Janet and I, and probably our listeners and viewers, because I think that's why a lot of you guys tune in, because we have some different approaches to what, when, what we decide, what, how we educate you and empower you to take care, to take charge of your own health. So, first of all, first day of September, amazing. The weather feels like fall out there. It was thirty-seven degrees down south of us in the Tri-City area, so definitely cooling off, and I'm enjoying it. Um, so also as always, you can tune in on my Facebook We are streaming live on my personal Facebook page and you can always call in to ask questions, five zero nine five three seven zero four one one. And even if you don't call in live to the show, you can use that number to call in um, later on. And I will personally answer that call it forwards to my cell phone. So thank you all for listening and tuning in. Uh, Make sure that you go to your favorite podcast forum and like and subscribe and comment. So um, if you have any subject matter that you would like us to to talk about, please let us know. Also, YouTube, check out our YouTube and Rumble. Our Rumble is growing tremendously uh, because some of the platforms censor us. Rumble does not censor us. So please go to our Rumble account and subscribe to our Rumble account. You don't want to miss that. So Ben, without further ado, uh, welcome to our show. Thank you, Sean. It's an
1: honor to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for being on. So, first of all, I want you to tell a little bit about your story. There there's, you know, you were talking before the show how you're a rogue pharmacist and right. I guess you fit you fit right along with Janet and I being rogue pharmacists yeah. so. Um, I suspect
1: there's more of us than we know. I suspect there more is. Yeah. Yeah. The pharmacists oh. tend to be compliant pharmacists. I noticed that the personality type of a pharmacist is more like a like a follower than necessarily exactly. a leader, but there's some of us you know, like, like you and your wife and myself who don't fit that bill. And that's why I say we're rogue. We went rogue. Pharmacy is the art of taking orders. You know, that's what pharmacists do. We, we take orders, right? We, right? The doctor gives us an order and we fill the order. Um, but every once in a while there's like a black sheep pharmacist, a rogue pharmacist that really wants to do more than take orders. That's, that's what I wanted. I, I'm assuming you guys are the same way. We want to do more than take orders. And we kind of smelled, Something wasn't right. You know, our patients kept coming back. I, I I don't mean to speak for you, but speaking for myself, and I may perhaps you felt the same way, our patients kept coming back and they weren't getting better. And we knew the toxicity and the side effects, because that's what you study in pharmacy school. You know, probably a good 50 or 60% of pharmacy school, if not more, is spent understanding toxicity and mitigating toxicity, right? right? So- you, think, you figure your, your patients are coming back. They're not getting better. They're getting on putting, being put on more and more medications, and not only that, they're being put on medications to take care of the side effects of other medications. And then on top of all that, there's a whole toxicity profile that you've got to deal with. And then on top of all of that, there's another world of medicine that is not drugs. You know, we collapse the idea of medicine and drugs together because since the middle of the 19th century, the two have been kind of the same. And so we are conditioned, as a general public and also as pharmacists work and, and healthcare professionals in general, are conditioned to believe that medicine equals drugs. But that's not how it always was. That started in the middle of the 19th century with the advent of organic chemistry and, and aspirin and the whole pharmaceutical or pharmacomedical model. Before then, medicine was herbs and medicine was food. Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. So those of us who really want to practice medicine, and again, I'm, I don't mean to speak for you, but I probably you're the same way, didn't necessarily equate that with drugs. We wanted to we wanted to help people with medications, but not necessarily with medications that would ultimately kill them. And you said something very interesting. You said most medications, and you said most most uh, chronic diseases. I would say all. I would tell you that all medications, by the very definition, or I'm sorry, drugs, by the very definition of drugs are designed to suppress biochemistry. They are by their very nature, by their very nature, by definition, they are anti-health in the name of modification of symptoms. So in the interest of changing symptomology, we suppress health and that's not what I signed up for. In fact, when I went to tell you my story, I was always fascinated by chemistry. I was one of those kids that had a little chemistry set, you know, growing up. With the yeah, so that's right.
0: That's
1: <laughs> right? So I was always just blown away by molecules and by how the whole thing worked together. And then I took a course uh, in, in college called psychopharmacology where we studied the, the, uh, the biochemistry, the, the, uh, uh, the neurochemistry of the brain and of thoughts and of thinking and of perception and it just blew me away, this idea that everything we know is reality is really the end result of molecules and ions and changes in hormones and chemicals that are going on in the brain. So I wanted to study how molecules and chemicals could be used to change uh, our perceptions of reality. And the first thing I thought of was food. And I thought that there was a relationship. This was as an 18, 19-year-old. I thought there was a relationship between food and how we think by virtue of this Biochemical interactions, uh, by virtue of the biochemical interactions that are occurring in the brain, food being biochemistry, basically. So I wanted to study food as, as how food was acted as medicine. I was also a bodybuilder and a weightlifter, and I was working with food and I was working with nutrition. So my idea when I went to pharmacy school, silly me, was that pharmacists would really be studying how the, the molecules in food could interact with the body to create healing. And I remember going to. Uh, my first day of pharmacy school. And by then I was married and I had moved to another state and I had been accepted into pharmacy school. And I remember going into the Dean's office. They, they interview all the new pharmacy students. I don't know if they did that. uh, Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) So they interview all the new pharmacy students. And so I go to the Dean's office. And so why do you want to be a pharmacist? I said, I want to study food as medicine. And I'll never forget Dean Irwin. He laughed like that was the funniest joke he ever heard in his life. And he said, that's not what we do here. We study drugs. We study pharmacy. You're going to be a pharmacist. You're going to be dispensing drugs. And, and by then, I was already in pharmacy school. I already accepted. I had a kid. I was married. You know, My whole life was directed to being in pharmacy school. So I was like, I heard pharmacists make a lot of money. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll proceed and I'll go ahead. But I was troubled from the very get-go because, like I said, we're studying toxicity. And I didn't really want to do toxicity. I wanted to help people. And it just never made sense to me how we could consider these things that have these toxicity profiles that have to be medicated in development and in the laboratory and in cl- in clinical practice as healing modalities. And then something very interesting happened about my second year. And probably this happened to you too. We started studying nutrition, except we didn't study nutrition like a dietitian studies it or like a doctor studies it or like a, a, a cook or chef studies it or, or a nutritionist studies it, we study nutrition like a pharmacist. In other words, we study the therapeutic value of vitamin A, of vitamin C, of selenium, of zinc, of cartilage, of glucosamine. We study how these, mo- these uh, molecules could be used, number one, therapeutically, but we also study how disease states could be the end result of deficiencies in these molecules. And I think, keep in mind, I'm already on track uh, working with food and working with nutrients and I was a weightlifter and a bodybuilder, an athlete, so I'm already hip to understanding how nutrition works to help the body and then I start to learn, wait a minute, you can use nutrients for for night blindness, you can use them for dry skin, you can use them for diabetes, you can use them for uh, cardiovascular health issues. So that was all I needed to hear, and I immediately made it my life's mission to understand how we could use nutrition to help heal the body. And I graduated. I, I worked in the Bliss. I, I think I told you this. When I was in pharmacy school, I worked in the skincare. I was in the skincare business. Uh, I am in the skincare business. And when I was in pharmacy school, I never worked in pharmacies. I didn't get my internship hours in pharmacies like my fellow students. I got my internship hours in the Blistex lab. The guy who invented Blistex was a professor at the University of Colorado. He's a He was a uh, retired professor, actually. But he had uh, he was a celebrity, he had invented Blistex, and the Blistex Corporation gave the University of Colorado money, and the University of Colorado gave the Blistex Corporation a laboratory, and Dr. Jones would be in the laboratory, and he would hire students, and I was one of the students who was his research research assistant, and that's how I learned skincare. Uh, but the point is I didn't know pharmacy. I didn't really know what a pharmacist did because I didn't really work in a pharmacy. So I graduated pharmacy school, I go out to work in the pharmacy, and for some reason, I don't know why, but it didn't, it didn't click that I was the guy dispensing the poison. I was the guy giving out the stuff that I was reading was so toxic that you had to watch out for people overdosing. You had to be uh, careful with the dosages and, the, and the, uh, the frequency of the doses, et cetera. And all of a sudden I just decided, you know what? I am going to start talking to people about nutrition. Keep in mind, this is 1986. Okay, this is not. There's no health food stores everywhere, and people don't know about vitamins, and they're not. You know, if you're still a health nut, if you take supplements or you're you're jogging, right? So uh, I started telling people about supplements. I, they would come in for their for their calcium channel blocker. I'd be like, you know, magnesium. That's a natural calcium channel blocker. Maybe take some magnesium with your calcium channel blocker. You know, or they'd have a cold. to get antibiotics. They'd, Maybe it was vitamin C with that, or maybe you want some probiotics with that. And you know what? People would get better. They would be able to reduce their dose of medicine of their, of their medications. They would feel better. They would have less side effects on their toxicity. So I started to get a little cocky. And instead of recommending magnesium with their calcium channel blocker, I started suggesting magnesium instead of their calcium channel blocker. Wow, <laughs> Right? And so needless to say, uh, Kmart Pharmacy wasn't exactly thrilled with Pharmacist Ben. And, and I was sent packing, you know, I was sent on my way and I started my own pharmacy. I started a, a skincare pharmacy where we had no drugs in the pharmacy. All we did was topical preparations, things that I created, as well as nutritional supplements. And I started talking to people about nutritional supplementation. I started talking to people about skincare. I started developing uh, uh, some theories and some concepts around skincare formulation. I started a skincare company. I started doing lectures. I got a reputation. Long story short, 20, uh, 25 years later, I started in 1991, so what, uh, t- almost 30, 30 years later, uh, I, now I'm considered to be a go to person in terms of pharmacy and nutrition as well as in skincare. And that, in a, in a nutshell, is my story. But what I really want people to do is not necessarily understand nutrition and not necessarily understand skincare products or, or skincare, but understand themselves. Understand this magical, miraculous system called the human body. Because if we understand the human body, if we understand how our body is put together, if we understand the nature of the immune system, if we understand what a cell really is, if we understand how the whole thing is put together, we will have so much more power in our lives and we will be so uh, much harder to intimidate. And that's really the problem. And I'm sure you see it. People are scared. They don't know. They don't know why their heart is, is, they're having a heart attack or why their heart is blocked. They don't know why they're getting colds uh, all the time or getting cold sores all, all the time or have wrinkles or dark spots. They don't know why their diseases are showing up because they don't know their bodies. And when you don't know something, it engenders fear. In fact, the only way to dismantle fear is to really understand something, to really know something. And so my mission today in life is to help people know themselves. And by know themselves, I don't mean just know themselves physically, know themselves spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, as well as physically. I call SMEP, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical, so they can optimize this super high-performing system that we call the human body.
0: Amen, brother. Thank I you. think our podcast is done. We can probably just ah. do it right now. <laughs> thank you so much. That was very, very educational. And our goal of this podcast is to educate and empower consumers to take charge of their own health. And it sounds like that's what you've been doing for almost 40 years now. So yes. Kudos. Yes. Kudos to you. Thank you. Now, kudos to you as well. Thank you so much. Um, now uh you also have a very successful radio show can you tell us how that came about and what you talk about on the radio show because i've been a guest on your radio show thank you so much for having me on i gotta have you back on you were a hit i gotta definitely have you
1: back on so awesome so so, uh (laughs) you know i said i told you i was i loved chemistry when i was a kid but i also loved radio when i was a kid and i i don't know if you did this you know you're a little younger than me but we used to have a little tape we used to have these cassette tape recorders and we would you know, pretend we were disc jockeys on the cassette tape recorder and, and play songs. And I was just I fascinated by radio. I was fascinated by the medium. I loved listening to talk radio. I loved listening to the interactions between the host and between the guests. I loved listening to disc jockeys and, and their patter. It just, for some reason, it really fascinated me. So my I wanted to go. I wanted to become a, a broadcast journalist. That was what my goal was when I went to school. In fact, I have a degree in broadcast journalism. I went to uh, Syracuse University. My first degree is... Uh, a, a pretty useless at the time broadcast journalism degree. And that's one of the reasons I decided to go back to pharmacy school because I wasn't very successful uh, as a broadcaster. But as things are, you know, everything always works out, right? I, I, Because of my background in radio and because of my love of radio and because of my love of journalism, I managed to combine the two. And so one day um, I was uh, in my laboratory. I actually – let me digress a little bit. I got – I was working in my lab one day and I got a, a cassette tape in the mail. I don't know if you ever heard – I don't know if you ever got these cassette tapes in the mail. This is the 1990s. Uh, and this was a cassette tape in the mail that said, dead doctors don't lie.
0: Did you ever get one of those? Oh, I've heard of that. Right? I didn't ever get okay.
1: that tape, but I've heard that okay. story. So I got a cassette tape in the mail that said, dead doctors don't lie. And I put the tape in, and there's this guy talking on the tape, and he sounds like he has this deep, booming voice, and he sounds like he's Moses on Mount Sinai. He's talking about selenium, and he's talking about glucosamine, and he's talking about nutritional deficiencies. And he's talking about diseases as the end result of nutritional deficiencies. And he's talking about nutritional supplementation. And he's talking about how his background as a veterinarian uh, led him to, or his background as a farmer. He was a veterinarian, but his background as a farmer and being raised on a farm led him to understand that when you, when an animal's sick, you give them nutrients. When they have cribbing diseases, or when they have skin diseases, or when they have any kind of illness, you you give them minerals and you give them food, and you give them nutritional supplements. And so he, his whole thing was that we can correct our health issues with nutrition. And I'm already starting off on my journey of teaching people these ideas. This was probably 1995, 1996. So I've already been doing it for four or five years and I was just absolutely blown away. And so uh, one day I'm I'm working out in the gym with my buddy and and this guy's name is Dr. Wallach on the tape. And I'm like lifting weights and and my friend Russ is spotting me. And I said, hey, I just got this tape in the mail. I've been listening to it. It's the most amazing thing. And and this guy Wallach, hi, Dr. Wallach, and my friend Russ is like, I know Dr. Wallach. He he comes in here all the time. You know, he comes to Denver all the time, and Dr. Wallach was starting a, a nutritional company, and he was traveling around the country preaching his message about nutritional supplementation. I'm like, you know this guy? He says, yeah, you want to meet him? I'm like, heck yeah, I want to meet him, and sure enough, one day I'm in my lab. Uh, I had a, a pharmacy. that was also a laboratory. It was a lab pharmacy, and uh, and I look out the window, and there's Russ and, and this little guy with a cowboy hat. He's walking up the, up the, uh, up the steps, and Sure enough, that was Dr. Wallach, and Dr. Walk had a radio show, and me and, him, me and Dr. Walk start talking, and, and because I've been listening to his tape so much, Doc, he's thinking he's talking to his alter ego here, because I've been, I'm just repeating things back that I heard on the tape, and, and we're bonding, and we're connecting, and again, this is the early days of nutrition, this is the early 1990s, this is 95-ish, 96-ish, uh, so uh, he thinks he's got his, and he did have a kindred spirit, and he asked me if I wanted to substitute on his radio show when he went out of town. And he had a radio show on 130 stations. And I'm just like this, you know, beginning my career basically as a nutritionist and a pharmacist, I'm like, are you kidding me? And I have a degree in broadcasting. So it's like the perfect thing. It's like the, you know, it's like God dropped this right in my lap. And I I really do believe that these things happen in a divine kind of way. And so I started doing his radio show and he would go out of town and I would do it. And he went out of town a lot. So I became a regular on the show. Uh, One of the networks heard me doing the show and they invited me to do my own show and that was uh, uh, early 2000s, and I've been doing it, uh, ever. I've been doing radio ever since. H- helping people understand how their bodies work, helping people understand nutrition, and you know what, delving, uh, lately I haven't done it as much, because the, the, the cultural and political situation makes it harder to do, but also I, I started getting into medical politics, and health politics, and you know, it's almost like, and I know you understand this as a fellow pharmacist, it's almost like, there's there's a, a force that's arrayed against us who are trying to shake things up who are trying to shake up the status quo trying to tell people that there are changes. So I, I started to delve into that although I have to say over the last year I've had to delve in it less and less because of uh, the we'll say the climate the political climate mm-hmm. and I've also had to go to Rumble because I've I've been censored a lot and I don't want to you know I don't want to be an an angry person about this but I want people to be aware that the power structure, the establishment, as we used to call it, is not necessarily in the individual's interest. I always tell people there's an there's a un, unhealthy relationship between the institution and the individual. The individual is in flux. Individuals change all the time. Individuals have emotions. Institutions comes, the word institution comes from the word static, S-T-I-T in the middle of institution means static. An institution is something that stays the same. So the the goal of an institution is always going to be different from the goal of the individual and the institution doesn't bleed, the institution doesn't have a family, the institution doesn't have jobs, it doesn't have emotions, it doesn't have love, it doesn't have a heart. It's a static entity. The individual has all of these concerns that the institution doesn't have so individuals always have to be very skeptical, very questioning about the motives of institutions because institutions. The interest of an institution is not the same as the interest of an individual. So we, I, I was delving a little bit more into the the political climate and the uh, health politics or medical politics a little more than, than I'm doing now. Now I've kind of slowed it down, but we still we still delve into it a little bit. What do you feel? Do you do that? Do you, do you dive into it?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Himself, in, in fact, yeah, yeah. In fact, now that you say something, you know, I wrote a book about it, and it's called Sickened. How the government ruined healthcare and how to fix right. it, and you know obviously the government is a big institution, and the government pays seventy percent. Right. Yeah, and they pay for seventy percent of all the healthcare in the United States already. So yeah, if you believe that the government ruined healthcare, as I do and a lot of people do, yeah, um, even if you don't believe they didn't ruin it, if you believe that they can fix it, well, if they're seventy percent of the the payer already and buying most of the healthcare, then how can they fix it? I mean, the only way – go ahead.
1: I was going to say Ronald Reagan had a famous phrase. He said, the worst seven words in the English language. I'm here from the government. I'm here to fix it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: right, right. And so really the only way they can fix it is to get out of it. And that's what I say in my book. That's one of the goals of my podcast is to educate and empower consumers to be in charge of their own health care. Yes. And – your own health authority. I self. you know, the word authority –
1: Like I was saying earlier, we were raised, I think before we went on air, we were raised to question authority in my generation, probably in your generation to question authority. And the word authority comes from the word author, right? To write, to write a story. When when somebody's writing is your authority, they're writing your story. And when it's, you know, when it's part of your life, that's one thing. Or if it's your, you know, legal authorities or political authorities, that's one thing. But when it's a health authority, that's especially egregious. You don't want to let somebody else write your health story that is a dangerous position to be in that's a dangerous position for the individual to be in because as i said earlier the job of the, our institutions here in this country especially is to make money is to make profits so our institutions that we trust to take care of our health they're really not necessarily there to take care of our health they're to make they're there to make sure that the economic interests are maintained so even an organization like the food and drug administration there's the whole revolving door phenomenon where where the heads of drug companies end up being uh, working for the food and drug administration right. or lobbyists end up working for the food and drug administration. And it, it happens in other, in other parts of the government as well. You know, the defense industry in particular, but when it comes to our health, there's nothing more egregious than somebody who's pretending to be in, uh, uh, advocating in your interests, but who really has something, uh, another interest, someone else's interests in mind or another interest in mind. But here's the thing, Sean, I don't like blaming somebody else. This is up to us as Absolutely. individuals. Yes, it's true that, that there are interests that are arrayed against our interests, but we don't have to listen. We don't have to participate. We can, you know, all the stuff that's going on with the health, health challenges going on here. Everybody wants to, you know, have injections to take care of their health and all of the things that are going on. I noticed that the lines at Chick-fil-A are just as long as they've ever been. The lines at In-N-Out Burger have not gotten any shorter. In fact, now they're even longer, and yeah. there are fights to get their hamburger first. People are fighting to get their hamburger first. In fact, they have to have the police here. When they open up a In-N-Out Burger, they actually have to have the police watching the crowds, the cars, because people are fighting to see who gets, the fast, who gets their hamburger before the other person. So we have to take responsibility for ourselves. We can't abdicate our health. Uh, or the health of our family to others, to government, to institutions, to the pharmaco medical model, and I'm including pharmacists in that as well. You don't want to advocate this very intimate part of our lives, which is the health of our bodies, to an outside force, because if you do, you're going to be. There's no way that your your interests are going to be maintained, and we see this. We have more doctors, and I don't want to rip on any individual doctors. This is a paradigm we're talking about, a model. But we have more healthcare professionals, medical healthcare professionals in this country than ever before in the history of man. we got more medical devices. We've got more medical diagnostics. We've got all kinds of insurance. We've got all kinds of hospitals. We've got so many drugs, I don't know, thousands of different drugs. People are taking four, five billion, four to five billion prescriptions a year. People are taking. We are so medicalized, but at the same time, we're the fattest. We're the most cancer-ridden. We have the most diabetes. We're the sickest culture in the history of mankind at the same time as we are the most medicalized. Clearly there's something wrong, right? Clearly it's not working. And what's not working is we have abdicated our authority. We've given up our authority to somebody else that says, you fix me. And you know what? I have a lot of friends who are physicians. I've got a lot of friends who are doctors, dermatologists and and, and nurses and, and pharmacists and people who are involved in the medical model. And you know this as well as I do, Sean, they don't, they don't know either. You know, they're flying by the seat of their pants a lot of the times, too. They're going by what they somebody in, in medical school told them or pharmacy school told them or nursing school told them 40 years ago, 50 years ago. They're going by what they believe. They're going by what they learn, but they don't really know. They, we're always shocked when a physician makes a wrong diagnosis or a physician makes a mistake or a, a physician recommends a surgery that doesn't have to happen or, or doesn't do a surgery that has to happen. But they're just humans. They're not any. You don't have to necessarily be. A rocket science to be a doctor, being a doctor is about understanding some clinical facts. And by the way, this is an important distinction. I know you know this, but most people don't. There is a very important distinction between clinical chemistry and biochemistry. Clinical chemistry is the chemistry of your cholesterol score. Clinical chemistry is the cholesterol of your BMI or your, thi- uh, your thyroid hormones or your thyroid uh, level, thyroid hormone levels. Clinical chemistry is the chemistry of numbers. It's the chemistry of statistics. It's the chemistry of reference ranges. Biochemistry is the chemistry of you. It's the chemistry of your body, and you are not a reference range and you are not a statistic. And when somebody says, I feel crappy, and they take your thyroid test, and the doctor says, Well, your thyroid hormone is normal, what the heck does that mean? You know, <laughs> I feel crappy. Something's wrong here. Well, you are normal, or vice versa. Oh, your thyroid levels are low. I feel great, doctor. You, know, you got to get on this thyroid hormone because your test says your thyroid hormone is low. We have uh, marginalized our own experiences. What we know is true for the test score. It's like you go to a restaurant and you eat the hamburger, and you go, you say to the doc, you say to the uh, waiter, "Oh, this hamburger is terrible," and the waiter says. <coughs> Oh, look here—the menu. It says "delicious hamburger." The most delicious hamburger. I don't care what it says on the menu. That's hamburgers terrible. Right. You know, that's kind of that's sort of how we we marginalize and we've dismissed our own personal experiences because again, we don't trust ourselves. We don't believe we're smart enough. We don't believe we're capable enough. And that's that's the ultimate message: We are smart enough. We are capable enough. And just because somebody has a, a an MD or a or an RN or RPH after their name, that doesn't make them an expert over your personal biochemical experience.
0: That's right, that's right, that's very well said. And one thing that I do on the show and I talk to my patients too in the pharmacy is that, you know, don't trust me, do your own research. I mean, Absolutely. I'm here to help educate you, but do your own research. Absolutely. And unfortunately, with all these institutions that control healthcare, and you, you mentioned pharmacists being guilty of it, um, and doctors, and and of course, patients, is that, you know, e- even health insurance companies, I should say, especially health insurance companies, they don't represent a patient's health at all. They don't no. care about the patient's health. They care about the bottom line only. And, Absolutely. yeah, and essentially I- what, what individuals have done, whether it be doctors or pharmacists or nurses, is they have literally, and the patients, have literally usually washed their hands of their own individual responsibility for checking into their own health, for taking care of their own health and to seeing what's best for them. Absolutely. And they've they given it to somebody else, whether it be a government yes. entity, whether it be the health insurance company. And my goal, as always, in everything, not just medical stuff, but in everything, is that, you know, individual liberty is what's important for people. Yes. And yes. they need to take care of themselves and their families. Yes,
1: Absolutely, 100%. You know, and when you go to a doctor these days, in the old days, you go to a doctor, the doctor worked for you. You paid him, and he worked for you. These days, they don't work for you. Oh, they, work for Kaiser, you know? right. <laughs> they work for Kaiser. That's for right. Kaiser's their boss, not you. <laughs> you know? So they got to right. do what Kaiser says to do. They got to give you the drugs Kaiser told them to give them, or whatever the HMO is. They go by the formulary, and you may need you know, this drug, but that's th- that's not on the formulary. This is on the formulary. That's what you're getting. You know, You may th- need this surgical procedure, but – that's not on the formulary. You need, you're going to get that surgical procedure. And, you know, and I don't want to be, again, I don't want to, this to be negative. I want this to be positive in the sense that we can make a difference ourselves. We can do it ourselves. We, the first thing you want to do is understand how your body is put together. It's not complicated. It's fascinating, really. Most people don't even know where their pancreas is. Most people don't even know where their gallbladder is or what their gallbladder does. I talked to people, I, I talked to a lady a couple weeks ago. It, was, it just brought tears to my eyes. She was a kid, she had bad periods, right? She had menstrual problems when she was a kid. So instead of somebody saying, okay, what are you eating? What's your nutritional status like? Are you eating the wrong foods? You know, are you eating a lot of sugar? Are you eating a lot of fried fats? Are you on essential fatty acids? They took her organs out. So now she's got all her female organs. She was in her early 20s, and she's got all of her female organs taken out because she had menstrual issues. So now, of course, she's got uh, food issues, Okay, because There's a very important relationship between estrogen and the hormone system and foods. So now she's got food issues, so they want to take her gallbladder out, so they take her gallbladder out. Now she's got her gallbladder out, she's got her, her, her female organs out, now she's got breast cancer and they want to remove her breasts. Okay, so she's in tears. I said it all started at the beginning when, when, they, when you had bad menstrual cycles, your estrogen is off, you're, you're uh, eating the wrong kinds of fats, essential fatty acids to help you. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to make her feel bad about herself. But she said to me, she was in tears, and I was almost in tears, said, I didn't know. Nobody told me. They just said I had to have my organs taken out. And this is, you know, probably not the people listening to this program are not perhaps in this boat, but the vast majority of people are. They have bad periods, and the first thing they do is they take out their uterus, or they give them a hysterectomy. Well, why don't we figure out why you're having bad periods? You know, if you have a headache, you don't go to the doctor and say, well, we're going to cut your head off. Right. Good good analogy. Right. It's crazy. You know, I tell people your your body is like your baby. And when you have a symptom, your baby is crying. And yes, you can take scissors and cut your baby's tongue out. And then you don't have to hear your baby crying anymore. But that's not going to help the situation. Situation is to figure out why is your baby crying? Is the window open? Do you need to close it? Does he need a blanket? Is he eating the wrong food? We want to figure out why our baby is crying because this is our baby. And we are, in a way, relating to this like we're the parents. It needs us. Yes, the body is your best friend ever. It is your best friend on planet Earth from the day you're born to the day you die. Your body is your best friend. But it needs you like a baby needs a parent. It needs you to nurture it, to love it. And that's to me, that's what good food is. That's what good thoughts are. That's what quality feelings are. And that's what spiritual connection is. It's nurturance. It's nurturance. It's love for the body. It's treating the body like you would a baby. And you don't poison your baby or cut your baby's tongue out when you're or electrocute your baby. That's what this is what the medical model does. It electrocutes us, it radiates us, it poisons us, and it surgically hacks us up. That's not how you treat a baby. When your baby is sick or crying or distressed, you figure out why your baby is sick and crying and distressed. There's always a reason. You know, there's this, this word in medicine that always cracks me up. It's, it's not really funny, but ha ha funny, but it's ironic funny, idiopathic, right? Like, I don't know. It just happened. There's right. no known cause, right? We have no known cause for your psoriasis. There's no known cause for your eczema. There's no known cause for your, for your gallbladder distress. Well, get that thought out of your head. Everything has a cause, and whether you know it or not, it doesn't mean there's no cause for it. Figure out what that cause is, and that, to me, is how we want to address the body. There's nothing in the body that doesn't have something associated with it that we can can somehow modify, with the exception of perhaps mechanical traumas, like if you get hit by a car or something drops on your head. Other than that, the body is exquisitely responsive to the environment, and by changing the environment – you can change the body
0: absolutely and you know i think what's the the saddest part just backing up on that on the patient with uh you know that had um cycle issues and so here we are and we see it all the time because we specialize in hormone hormone replacement in our pharmacy and anytime let's just face it anytime there's a cycling issue if whether it be headaches that go around your cycles or whether you have um you know um, heavy periods or anything like that. That's a hormone related issue. If it follows a cycle, it's a hormone related issue. Let's fix, that's a symptom. Let's fix the problem, not just treat the symptom. And, you know, I mean, taking a 20 year olds, you know, ovaries out, I I mean, the, the long-term side effects of that is horrible. Bone density, heart health, uh, skin health, er, All 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 of it.
1: Right. We think that we can take parts out because we don't see the body as a system. You know, the, the notion of systems is something that only became popularized in the 1940s. When we started to figure out networking with computers, we started to see that there's this phenomenon called a system, which is where you have one homogenous unit that's made up of a, of a bunch of hetero, uh, heterogeneous parts. A bunch of different parts form an entire unit. And this is, that, that's the definition of a system. The, but the point of a system is you can't take a part out and have the same system. Everything is interconnected, right. so, and this is the problem with medicine. It has not caught up to this idea of systems, although it's starting to. I will say systems medicine is starting to become a thing, but it's still on the fringes, but even just we as individuals can understand if you take your ovaries out, you're going to affect your breasts. You're going to affect your bones. You're going to affect your digestive system. You're going to affect your brain. You're going to affect every other part of the system because once you take a part out, that system is now a different system. So the only time to take a part out of your body is when it's cancerous and you don't have any other options. If there's just pain in your gallbladder, that's not a reason to take the gallbladder out. Now, I know that when you have gallbladder pain, you're like, get this thing out of me. You know, I I don't want to feel it, but you're setting yourself up for other problems down the road. And an alternative is to figure out what is going on with the gallbladder. But in order to do that, you have to understand what what the gallbladder is, how it's structured. We have a relationship in biochemistry, I know, I'm know, i sure you know, called structure function. The function of a, of an organ or the function of anything is dependent on its structure, which means if you want to optimize the function of a structure, if you want to optimize the function of your gallbladder or your pancreas or any other system, any other organ in the body, you have to understand the structure. And the structure of the gallbladder is it's a bag and it has a little pipe that goes into it and it has a little pipe that goes out of it. And if you have gallbladder pain it's because there's something messed up with the pipe so what you got to do is figure out why is the pipe clogged why is the pipe sticky why is things not moving through the pipe as well as it should and almost always with the gallbladder with any other part of the body what you're going to find is that when there is something going wrong something has gotten into the system that has corrupted the system now how do things get corrupt how do things get into the system to corrupt it well you can stick it in through your skin into your veins intravenous, and we know that if you're sticking things in through your veins, you run higher risks of autoimmune disease, you run higher risks of, of, uh, uh, of dementia, neurological issues, you run higher risks of all kinds of health problems if you're an IV drug user. We know this. But for most people, it's not IV that is the, uh, the, the primary so- source of assault into the system. What is the primary source of assault into the system? Hello, it's food. What we eat rice. Right, what we eat and when you consider that we're eating food that didn't exist 200 years ago you know the foods we eat today didn't exist 200 years ago in, in this evolutionarily designed system that has been around for millions of years we've completely changed how we nourish it and how we how we feed it over the last 200 years that's a blip even in the last 50 years i mean even if you're eating chicken and even if you're eating meat even if you're eating broccoli it's still different than it was 200 years ago because of glyphosate and, and, and fertilizers and hormones and antibiotics and all the things that are in the water that's, being, that's watering the organic broccoli, even if it's organic. It's being watered with chloride and fluorine and uh, uh, fluoride and, uh, and antibiotics. So, of course, the foods we're eating are going to have a negative impact on the health of the body, which is why, Sean, every study that's ever been done on longevity – One of the reasons, anyway, why every study that's ever been done on on longevity shows that the less you eat, the longer you live. The (laughs) less food you put in your body, the longer you live. You know, I I mean, that's the simplest way to increase your longevity is to simply eat less food. I always tell people, they always laugh. I'm sure you'll crack it when you hear this, too. Eating's for kids. Eating's for children. When you reach a certain age, you don't need to eat as much. You need to eat tiny amounts. Eating is for when your body is in this growth mode. Once we reach reach the age of 40 and 50 and 60, we're indulging. We're not eating for nourishment. We're eating for indulgence. Not that you want to – obviously, you have to have some nourishment into your system, but you have to have much less than we're led to believe that we have to have. And most of us not only are not – this is really fascinating. Not only are we not getting the nutrients we need from food, but the nutrients we eat cost us nutrition. Because the body has to mobilize the copper and the magnesium and the manganese and the vitamin C and all of the nutrients to detoxify the food, the the components of the hamburger, the components of the Pringles, the components of the Snickers bar, the components of the pizza. Not only are they not giving us the nutrients, they're costing us the nutrients. And every time you eat food, even if it's good food, your body activates its immune response it goes into postprandial inflammation. And this is after you eat good food. So the less you eat, the calmer the body gets, the more resources it has to build. It's like, do you wanna spend your resources digesting your food? Or do you wanna spend your resources building muscle? Or be- making more neural connections? Or fighting diseases? What's, you wanna digest your food or you wanna have a long life, basically? And that's, alt- that's what it comes down to as we reach, a, after we reach a certain age.
0: Right, and one of the things that I tell patients uh, and everybody in general is that eat to live, don't live to eat. Right, and yeah. it's amazing how little food we really need to sustain so ourselves, true. and so and true. most people do not realize that. But That's if so you true. look at, yeah, you look at traditionally in um uh in in cultures like the Aborigine culture in Australia, um on average the Aborigine culture in Australia when they weren't hunting, um which you know traditionally hunting gathering um cultures they would only hunt like once a week and then they would gorge themselves for one or two days and they'd fast for one or two days i mean seriously generate ketones generate ketones yeah Yeah. right they would they would eat 900 calories a day to sustain themselves 900 calories and on the back of a yeah, on the back of a nutrition box right now from the US RDA, it says, you know, the average American, 2,200 calories a day. Are you kidding yeah. me? Most Americans that live a sedentary lifestyle do not need 2,200 calories a day, probably half that. And half some that. women, some women even less than that. I mean, there is a lot of women, yeah. smaller women that need 800 calories a day to sustain themselves if they will live a sedentary lifestyle.
1: Well, you know, if you take – anyone is listening, just do this experiment and, you know – Just check this out. If next time you're really hungry, go cook a meal or make your food, put it on a plate and then pay attention as you're taking a bite, as you're eating, pay attention to when you're not hungry anymore. Usually two bites and you're not hungry anymore. After those two bites, that all represents an excess that the body has to deal with. After those two bites, it takes about two or three bites and that's all you need. But the food is very interesting because food, there's a relationship between our brain and food. And so we get pleasure from food. And not only do we get pleasure from food, but that pleasure connection the pleasure centers in the brain that are activated from food are responsive to chemicals that are manipulated or that are created artificially and exogenously there's a place in philadelphia called the manel institute where they and it's funded by the drug companies and by food companies and by the way drug companies and food companies are are connected and food is is probably the most powerful drug that we interact with on a regular basis Uh, And so there's a very important relationship between food companies and drug companies. And these food companies and drug companies have funded this place called the Manel Institute, where they study how to make chemicals, how to make molecules that will activate parts of your brain that will keep you eating the Lay's potato chips. So you can't stop eating the Lay's potato chips. So these biochemical processes that are evolutionarily refined and honed to make sure that we don't starve to death. You know, ha- people knowing this country start that for a long time, probably. But these are mechanisms that were in place from the African savanna are being hacked into by molecules nefariously that aren't even on the ingredient deck. You can't even see them. They say natural flavors or they have some kind of disguised terms. So we're coerced to eat against our will. And then to compound the problem, because we get a pleasure from eating, if our lives are not pleasurable, food represents an easy way to get pleasure. Right. And so if you have if you have the worst life, you have bills and you have sickness and you have a bad relationship and a bad job, when you take that spoon and you move it down into the Ben and Jerry's or the Haagen-Dazs ice cream, for that moment that that spoon is going down and hitting the Haagen-Dazs, all your problems are gone. No problem. You don't think about your boss. You don't think about your kids. You don't think about your job. You don't think about your money issues. For that moment that that Haagen-Dazs is rising up to your mouth, the world is perfect and beautiful. You eat the Haagen-Dazs, and all of a sudden your kids come back and your children and your job comes back and your bills come back. So of course, what do you do? You go down into the Haagen-Dazs again, and you keep doing it to the point where people will lick the sides of the of the Haagen-Dazs or the, the Ben and Jerry's carton because they want every little molecule of pleasure that they're getting from the Haagen-Dazs. So what we have to learn to do is hack into our biochemistry intentionally, volitionally, through love, through activities, through curiosity, through passion, through doing something for others. There are so many ways that we can hack into our pleasure centers that are constructive, not only constructive for us in our lives, but constructive for the society and for constr- constructive for the culture. You know, if when you're in love, you don't eat. You don't feel like eating. You go the whole day without eating when you're in love, right? <laughs> you're in this high. <laughs> Things are right. great. You don't even think about eating. They have to tell you to eat. They have to force you to eat. When you're out in the sun, when you're enjoying a beautiful sunny day on the beach, you not you're not bored. You don't think you're going to go. I think I got to go get some food. I got to go get something to eat. When you're enjoying your life, your hormones of pleasure, your hormones of, of, of joy, your hormones of effectiveness, serotonin and dopamine, and even to a certain extent cortisol, they're high and your appetite goes down. Appetite and, and food, uh, our appetite increases when we're bored when we're in distress, when we're depressed, that's when we eat the most. So learning to manage your emotions and learning to uh, manage your thoughts and even learning to manage your spiritual connection, your connection with the divine force, your connection with God, those are strategies that you can use as well as all the physical things we talk about. When When people start supplementing, they eat less food because now they're getting nutrients. When people start exercising, they eat less food. Because now their body is, their uh, biochemistry is responding to working out and to growing, so you're not as hungry. Now, after you exercise, you may eat, but while you're exercising, nobody stops and decides they're going to have a hamburger in the middle of lifting weights. (laughs) You know, in the middle of of your workout at the gym, you're not. I got to go get some ice cream. While you're doing things, while while you're hacking into your biochemistry in a positive sense for you or for the culture, you're not going to eat. And that's those are the things that we want to learn how to do. But again, it comes comes back to understanding how we're put
0: together. Awesome, Ben. So, let's segue that into since we titled this how to how to have a immune healthy system. immune system, <laughs> which really same thing. Is, yeah, yeah, we've been discussing that for the last almost yes. hour. So, yes. segue into that though yes. um in in a couple of minutes as we wrap this podcast up. Yes. Uh, segue into what is if, if you are going to do something to keep a healthy immune system, what would you recommend? Well, there's several strategies.
1: First of all, probably the most important thing from a physical perspective is to keep the sugar out and the, uh, and the and the processed fats out. Processed fats and sugars are the two worst foods that we ingest on a regular basis, especially sugar has a very powerful suppressing effect on the immune system. And sugar doesn't have to be just sweets. You know, it can be bread. It can be pasta. It can be rice. It can even be oatmeal. Now, I'm not saying that these things are necessarily bad foods, but just controlling your intake of them. Certainly sugar, processed sugars are a big problem. That, that's one thing you want to do. The second thing you want to do is, and this is really interesting because we have almost, I, almost nefariously, I'll say, we've created a culture of fear. Fear suppresses the immune system. When you are scared of being attacked, uh, of having your immune system attack, that's when your immune system is suppressed. That's when you're most susceptible is when you're scared. So managing your emotions becomes very important and then from a uh, strictly nutritional perspective vitamin C is the great king of vitamins in fact vitamin C is so pluripotent so multifunctional that it's almost like in another in a league of its own in terms of nutrition and the recommended daily allowance, the RDA, which I call by the way, the RDA the ridiculous deficiency allowance, <laughs> is, designed, right. is designed right, it's designed to keep you ridiculously deprived of the amount of nutrition you need. So you need grams of vitamin C, not a hundred milligrams a day. You
0: know, yeah, animals- the RDA is 60 milligrams of vitamin C. That's how ridiculous. Most people can realize when you say that. That's how ridiculous the RDA, ridiculous. Is, RDA is. Yeah.
1: Ridiculous. You know, animals make their own vitamin C, right? Humans don't make vitamin C, but billy goats and squirrels and birds, and they all make vitamin C. When a goat is stressed, it will make five grams of vitamin C. And they're telling you all you need is six milligrams of vitamin C. So right. vitamin C all day long, and it's water-soluble, so you have to kind of keep your body flooded with vitamin C because you're urinating it out, especially if you're drinking a lot of water. You know, a lot of people are drinking water, and that's a good thing. You want to stay hydrated, but the more water you're drinking – the more you're urinating, and the more you're urinating, the more water-soluble nutrients are leaving your body, right? So the more water you're drinking, the more vitamin C you need. The more water you drink, the more B-complex you need, and the B-complex is also very important, and also electrolytes, potassium and calcium and magnesium. You're urinating all these out the more water you're drinking, so all of these are very important. Vitamin D is another one that's really important, but not just, you know, Vitamin D is so multifunctional, right? And you, Every day you hear another another function, another uh, role that vitamin D plays in the health of the body. That's because vitamin D has one really main role, and that role is to help the body absorb calcium. And when people think about calcium, they tend to think about the bones. But calcium in the bones is just one of uh, the bones are just one of the places calcium works. Obviously, you need calcium for your bones. But calcium is really an activator. Cells need calcium to do their business. A muscle cell needs calcium to muscle. A heart cell needs calcium to heart. A, a blood vessel cell needs calcium to blood vessel. A skin cell needs calcium to skin cell. Cells need calcium to do what they do. And without vitamin D, you can't absorb calcium. So vitamin D is important for everything, everything. And of course we know the best place to get your vitamin D is not a supplement and it's not food. The best place to get your vitamin D is for the sun. Praise God. Vitamin D is so important. Vitamin D is so important, Sean, that God didn't want to take a chance on us getting it from food. He wanted to make sure that you got it from the sun, right? That we got it on our skin. But, of course, today, you know, we're all wearing sunscreens. And no surprise, as a skincare guy, no surprise that just last week or two weeks ago, they found uh, carcinogens in your sunscreens. I could have told you that just from when I ordered sunscreens in my pharmacy, it had a skull and crossbones on it. You know that that was my first clue to the problem with sunscreens right <laughs> right so so get out in the sun that's one of the best things you could do for your immune system don't stress yourself don't burn but get some sunshine head to toe you know lay out in your bikini or your bathing suit in the in the and if you don't have you know you live in the great northwest or wherever it is and there's not a lot of sun get a lamp and expose yourself to uvbs the uvb the burning ray It gives you the vitamin D. So that's also important for the immune system. And then there's a, and I I know you know this, there's a a molecule in the body called glutathione. Mm -hmm. And anything you could do to build glutathione is going to be critically important for your immune system. Glutathione is activated by by selenium, which is one of the all-time great immune uh, minerals. Uh, And then zinc is another extremely important immune-boosting mineral. And interestingly, melatonin has immune-boosting properties. In fact, when uh, Trump went to the hospital, That's one of the first things they, for COVID, that's one of the first things they gave them was melatonin. So melatonin has another uh, immune boosting, has immune boosting effects as well. So reducing your sugar, exercising, uh, reducing your fried fats and processed fats, um, making sure that you're uh, getting enough vitamin C, getting out of the sun for vitamin D, using melatonin, um, building glutathione, selenium, protein. Of course, the immune system is, is largely made up of protein. That's also very important. And then And this is probably the most important thing of all when it comes to good health, strengthening the digestive system, making sure, number one, that you've got acid in the stomach. You know, most people think that they got too much acid. That's not the case. Hypochlorhydria is much more significant than too much acid. You know, antacids are the best-selling over-the-counter drug there is. In the nursing home, I used to work as a pharmacist in nursing homes, and everybody's on antacids there, as if when you're old, you're making too much acid. When you're old, you don't make too much of anything. Right? It's not like when you get older everything is suppressed. The reason right. you know you don't make too much acid when you're older, in fact hypochlorhydria, low stomach acid is much more significant a problem than too much acid. So reducing your uh, uh, or making sure that you're acidifying your stomach with apple cider vinegar or using HCl drops. Do you make HCl
0: drops? In the pharmacy, there are pharmacies. We do them. not. We do not. But you we know. we sell Betaine HCl. Betaine
1: HCl exactly and then enzymes, probiotics, of course. Yep the intestine healthy. If you have leaky gut, which is a serious problem, and one of the biggest reasons why leaky gut is so predominant is because of the inflammatory fats. There's a very important relationship between inflammation at the level of the intestine and fried and processed fats, so making sure you're strengthening the intestine is also very important. And then the, the mental and the emotional strategies as well. Don't let fear into your life. You know, I watched the news a couple of days ago, or a couple of weeks ago, and I was doing, and I have to watch the news Uh, because I got to see what's going on in the world. I'm always wondering what they're trying to get me to think. Don't pay attention to what they're saying. Pay attention to where the direction is going, what they're trying to make you think. So I wear this psychological hazmat suit when I watch the news, and I was watching the news, and every darn story was fear, even to the point of they had to tell me. I live in Colorado. They had to tell me that three people died in a flood in Tennessee. Like, what did I need to know about that? How did that make my life better? To hear that three people died in a flood in Tennessee. You know, that's the extent of the fear. And every story is about fear, whether it's Afghanistan or Trump or January 6th or COVID or every, literally every story, nine, not 99 out of 100, 100% of the stories are about fear. So when you're fear, when you're in fear or when you're in anxiety, your immune system becomes suppressed. So get that out of your system. You know, get the Satan behind me. To me, it's a question of parasympathetic and sympathetic, Jesus and Satan. If you want to be, uh, if you want to be uh, theological, theological about it, if you want to be religious about it, it's about fear versus love. That's the that's the primal dichotomy. It's the the primal distinction of emotions that we have is we're either in fear or we're either in love. And just like Jesus says, you're either with me or against me. You're either parasympathetic net or you're either or sympathetic net. Get yourself parasympathetic net through slow, deep breathing, through the divine force, channeling it, pulling it into your life, loving somebody, even loving a dog or a pet. You know, when we love something vulnerable, that activates our parasympathetic nervous system Mm -hmm. to the extent that when somebody comes from Afghanistan or Iraq, they'll give them a dog. Why? Because the dog is vulnerable. And when we love something vulnerable, whether it's a child or it's a dog or it's a bird or even if it's a plant, it activates our parasympathetic nervous system. It activates our rest and digest nervous system, and it supports our immune system and our ability to deal with our environment.
0: Awesome, I love it, Ben. So, as we wrap this up, um, tell us—I think it's been rather obvious over the last hour what you have a passion for. But go ahead and sum that up in 30 seconds. What do you have a passion yeah. for? For helping people,
1: for helping people understand their bodies, for helping people understand how they're put together spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And i say this in just the last minute. I love the word passion, but people are always amazed when I tell them, when we t- I talk about the word passion. I talk about it a lot. So what is the opposite of passion, you know? E- etymologically, by the word,
0: what's the opposite? You'll never guess. It's because it's really shocking. I, 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 I'm at a loss. Action. What? Action is the opposite of
1: passion, right? Because act, A-C-T, means to do. Pass, passive, means to not do. So what is it about, because when you think about passion, you think of action, right? So there seems to be something weird there. When you're passionate about something, it's pulling you. You're not doing anything. You're being done, right? So find what it is that pulls you, that you you can't do anything about it. You're so passionate about it. It's making you do it. And so for me, what makes me get up in the morning, what wakes me up in the morning is being able to help somebody. Just like on this call, you know, I don't know. Hopefully we help people. I'm going to, I got three minutes. I'm going to be on my radio show. Hopefully I'm helping people. I'm going to go to my lab. I'm going to have, I've been doing an interview at the TV station. Hopefully I'm going to help people. When she, when the interviewer leaves, I'm going to be making stuff in my lab. Hopefully I'll be helping people. That's what, that's what gets me moving. That's what pulls me. That's what my passion is, is making a difference in people's lives.
0: Awesome. Well, I think you're doing that. You definitely achieved our goal today of educating and empowering consumers to take charge of their own health. So, Ben, what's Thanks. the best way to get a hold of you? PharmacistBen.com, really? I'm assuming?
1: Yeah. My my blog is PharmacistBen.com. My skin health products are at TruthTreatments.com. And I've c- completely changed the way skincare is done. Excuse me. So if you go to TruthTreatments.com, you can check out our thousands of four- and five-star reviews. And you can always email me at Ben at KS co.com.
0: Awesome, Ben. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, and listeners and viewers, I so appreciate you tuning in today. Um, stay tuned because we will have this edited version on on YouTube and um, edited on YouTube, and we'll share it there, and we'll share some short little clips too, so Ben can share those on his sites. Because I really appreciate him being on today. We've had a great show. It's like. I didn't even need to talk today because Ben was doing it all for me. And that's what I love of being thanks. a host for this show and a great, and a great guest you were, Ben. So thanks. thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to health solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you. Thank you.